Last January, an AI-generated image of Pope Francis wearing a stylish, long, white puffer jacket went viral. We've known for years that AI-generated imagery it presents quite a looming threat on, on democracy and on societies, you know, a world where we can't distinguish what's real and what's fake. And what this weekend's viral images show of the Pope is that, that that world is here. To fans of the image, it was a harmless diversion for a bored Chicago utility worker experimenting with a new AI art tool. To critics, it was an attack on the religious significance of the Pope's vestments. To others, another reason to mistrust the Catholic community. For everyone, it was a reality check. AI would not be a technology slowly rolled out in the next 10 to 20 years. It was here to stay. And with its welcome comes a host of ethical and moral questions about how to properly use it and what best serves human flourishing. For the lay church, it was a warning bell to get prepared for the new technological frontier and the foundational moral questions that may arise. Today on Detroit Stories, we talk with experts in artificial intelligence and the church's role in this new frontier. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode is brought to you by Angela Hospice, helping families provide the best care possible for the people they love. Visit us at askforangela.com. On New Year's Day 2024, the 57th World Day of Peace, Pope Francis's address focused on an increasing pressing issue of the time. He started his address, Artificial Intelligence and Peace, by asking the question that's on the minds of many of us who are less tech-inclined. What is artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is, you know, exactly what it sounds like. It's the, it's the attempt to try and simulate human cognition. This is Matthew Harvey Sanders, a former seminarian turned successful technology and communications entrepreneur. He is the CEO and founder of Longbeard, a digital marketing and design agency, and the CEO of Humanity 2.0 that works to facilitate collaborative ventures between public, private, and faith-based sectors. He works in Rome for the Holy See and the Pontifical Oriental Institute, where he manages Magisterium AI, a search database that makes teachings of the church accessible for the masses. We started getting into AI for a number of reasons, but I think one was we were excited about the possibilities of the technology, and we were surprised by how quickly it arrived. I mean, it had been in development for you know over a decade now, but we were surprised at how effective ChatGPT was at, at natural language processing. And so that was kind of a moment where we said, well, this is, this is now upon us, this is real. And when we started, learning that a lot of Catholics were using it to ask questions related, you know, to, to, to doctrine, you know, the faith. We were a little concerned about that. ChatGPT was trained on a large part of the internet, so any answers concerning the church aren't reliable and don't provide citations. You can't be confident about where the answer is generated from. And we saw that as, as a problem. So one of the reasons we, we created Magisterium AI. Matthew's search database offers citations for every answer regarding the Catholic church. Was, um, basically to, to ensure that the answers that are being generated are, are being generated from authoritative church sources, so people can have that confidence, and also to provide citations so that they know when the answer is generated, where those um, statements are coming from. And so we thought, 
you know, if we can make available the corpus of church teaching available, and all you have to do is ask the question, and boom, uh, you know, it will it will recall with almost perfect fidelity um, that that which has been said on the subject. We thought that would be could be a game changer for, for the church. So those are the pauses. I, I should say though, there was there is we did have some concerns with the technology as well, and, and I and I do to this day. I mean, I think AI is an incredibly exciting tool, and and like any tool, if it's used. Positively, Pope Francis has said this. If it's used, you know, it's directed towards the common good, it could do amazing things. Jeffrey Cannell, a parishioner at National Shrine of the Little Flower Basilica in Royal Oak, was the lead software architect of Vehicle Spy, an industry standard tool for developing debugging in vehicle communications networks. In the last couple years, he was so excited about the possibilities of AI that he left his company of 15 years to research artificial intelligence. A few years ago, I started to, uh, at night, get into learning about AI, um, also learning about uh, crypto. And I was working on all these things at night, coding at night. And sort of back at the office, I was spending more time doing meetings and you know that kind of stuff and um eventually uh stephanie my wife who's amazing she said jeff you're this is what you love doing like you're you're going home and you're doing all of this she's like why don't you just do that you know um and it took really like a big leap of faith so over the last year and a half um maybe two years um i just kind of went all out nerd and learning everything i could learn about um the current uh, ai um models um at and uh, started doing independent research um, and uh, doing academic contributions within the field. Since that leap of faith, he and his team have formed an organization called Noose Research, which is an open source AI research organization with the goal of taking the advancements that are happening in AI and making sure they're accessible to everyone. Jeffrey is far from scared of AI. In fact, he sees it as just one more creation out of a long history of technologies. What is artificial intelligence? It is computers giving us results without following explicit programming. So normally when computers run, uh, they're uh, they run programs that are written by a computer programmer. And these computer programs are basically very detailed instructions of what to do at every situation. If this, then this. Think of you to make like a plan. It's very much just a giant detailed plan of do this, do this, add these two numbers together. If this, then this. It's a giant, basically, if then list of conditions. So the computers can do these programs like very fast, but ultimately they're following a very explicit script that was written by a computer program. Programmer. And that would that would be how computers normally work. In contrast that to what people would consider to be artificial intelligence, it's when the computer does something or is able to come to a result following something that wasn't explicitly programmed by the programmer. Somehow it's able to do these other things that it wasn't just following like an explicit script that a programmer wrote, but it was able to come to a result on its own in a way that we as the programmers don't even really understand exactly how it came to that conclusion. It can help make your life easier and better. Um, and, and that's that's really the that's really the measure of any technology or like a product even from like a business like does it like make your life easier or better if it if it does then great if it doesn't then why are we even talking it is not here to replace you it is not here to take over you it's here to make your life easier and better 
By definition, this doesn't sound inherently frightening or evil. But Pope Francis asks us to consider what happens when you intertwine technology and society. Sono certo però che questo potenziale si realizzerà solo se ci sarà una volontà coerente da parte di coloro che sviluppano le tecnologie per agire in modo etico e responsabile. So what does it look like when AI reshapes our society? What are the net downstream effects? This is like a serious question. Um, we look at things like the mobile revolution with phones. If I showed you an iPhone 15 years ago, would you have told me TikTok is coming? You know, like uh, there are a lot of things that are kind of like obvious in retrospect, but like would have taken, you know, prompt, you had to be extremely, have extreme foresight to have been able to see them even 15 years in the future. So rather than making specific predictions, um, what we should think about is what are the macro trends that this has done previously when we've seen these classes of inf- these classes of changes happen in society and how what might some of those changes look like? I think when people when people hear about AI changing the world, I think they, they think specifically about applications of AI like NLP, ChatGPT, BARD, and, and these others. But you can't forget robotics because it's it's really the combination of the two technologies that will be the big game changer. It wouldn't surprise me in 10 years if half the world's population is unemployed. So I, I think from a civilizational point of view, this is a really important issue that we have to start talking about right now but the, the issue is it's a very scary thing and and the corporations who are developing the technology I mean, they're aware of this but you know they're they're these corporations are run by shareholders and and so they're, they're limited in what they can say about this issue and so you can't expect them to to lead on this i i give i give credit to a lot of the leaders of several of the ai companies i think they are trying to have a conversation about this they're being careful in the words they choose but i do think that they're they're trying I think on, on in the public sector, which is supposed to be regulating these technologies for the sake of the common good, there's a lot of uh, ignorance about these technologies and what they mean, how quickly they're developing, and that, that's a major obstacle that has to be overcome. We need a lot smarter people involved in um, in working with the industry to help regulate the, the technology. But again, this is difficult because as a political issue, it's a bit again, it's scary and daunting, and usually politicians who are thinking in four-year cycles are not necessarily they don't want to be the one to bring up the fact that the world could end in ten years. Um, that's that's, ter- that's ter- terrifying. Despite these unsettling possibilities, Jeffrey and Matthew are excited about the benefits of AI in education. I think the education system, for example, is going to be undergoing massive upheaval in a good way because of AI. Um, I think, uh, you know, having, for example, um, specifically tailored tutors that are learning along with students like and actually are able to synthesize imagine you had like a teacher who knew everything and could like spend all day with just that student every problem knows what their problems are is able to ask them novel questions that that cut at like the heart of where they're having trouble with a a concept or something like that that is very much within the realm of ai of like where we are with ai today and and that alone could completely revolutionize the world if we're like materially increasing the quality of education, right? And healthcare. And a, a practical application of that would be when an AI is fed a, a bunch of examples, x-rays of, of cancer, uh, you know, tumors, x-rays of, of, of cancer. And um, over the course of looking at thousands of them, it becomes very good at predicting what is cancer and what it isn't. It's amazing we've gotten this far, but uh, you'd be surprised how much healthcare is just like people kind of looking at a chart and going, eh, maybe. And like, they've got a lot of experience to build up that app maybe, but like there's a lot of, uh, 
there's um there's a lot of places where we can use AI like to uh to augment humans in, in decision making processes like that. And you'd want your doctor to maybe catch the one in a million thing that like they just had never been exposed to, they didn't know about, but is applicable to you. The AI has like the absolute ability to like pinpoint, you know, very specific conditions that when brought together, you know, are some super rare condition or some something else like that, that just the doctor you happen to go to, you know, and see at that time would not have been able to do. And while these possibilities are what drive Jeffrey, Matthew, and so many others in their field to pursue the limits, or limitlessness rather, of AI, they believe the church needs to be equipped, ready to answer the big questions. I'm not too worried about the leaders in AI or even the scientists. I do generally think they're they're smart people. And, and I think the technology, considering they're looking into how, human, how, how thinking works, how cognition works, I think they tend to be fairly, fairly, fairly bright people. Um, and again, are interested in, in, the, in the bigger questions. The issue is the scientists and the CEOs aren't necessarily always the ones making the decisions. There's there's strong influences such as the, the for-profit, um, you know, incentive, which can sometimes trump um, what would be a kind of a safer course forward. I think we're already starting to see that tension. I mean, you have the United States, which is leading on AI right now. China is 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 quickly behind them. If uh, you've had some advice that we should slow down this technology as it's it's too disruptive and the next iterations of it could be um, very destabilizing. But a, a pause would something that would only work if you know, all parties agreed, at least the leading parties agreed. And that can be very difficult, particularly if they're geopolitically in tension with one another. The danger with AI, I think, is that it could, and this is all hypothetical, I'm, I understand, it could offer to man their first chance at like a faux immortality um because if we are able to advance ai to this to the state where it's able to reasonably mimic humans um to a a fidelity that is indiscernible you eventually have to then get to the question of like what does it mean to be a human or is there anything special about human life at all as wildly futuristic as this sounds there are scientists who have predicted that this could be a very real possibility in our lifetime some predicting as little as eight years from now and wealthy investors are pouring money into vcs with the hopes of achieving this outcome sooner but the existential threat on Matthew's mind is the one that will happen with half a world unemployed. This is a future that many scientists are predicting will happen within the next 10 to 20 years. Well, one of the things that does concern me about the future is um, a lot of people define their value, their worth based upon what they do for a living, right? So if, if AI and robotics ends up resulting in a lot of jobs being redundant or obsolete, that means, you know, people are just not going to have those jobs, you know, to help find who they are. They're not going to have a job to go into punch into that, which eats up a lot of their times and, 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 you know, in some ways keeps them distracted. And I think for a lot of people, not having that distraction would will be very challenging. Social media, Matthew notes, has been a resource that many people have been using to fill gaps in activity. It's been a tool to mask anxiety, to avoid asking bigger questions. But with a wealth of free time, he fears that facing life's biggest questions will leave unequipped people in despair and fleeing to distraction even more. 
life can get out of balance. You're not spending enough time developing other areas of your life. I mean, investing in real human relationships, tangible human relationships, right? Or um, reading and, and growing your mind or, or praying and, and, and growing spiritually. But, you know, through growing your mind and, and through real friendships and through spirituality, you're able to kind of see yourself a little bit more clearly, you know, and, and, and those, que- those, those ultimate existential questions kind of bubble up. And I, I think that the process of answering those questions is what gives us peace. And if, and if you're not getting to a point where those, those questions aren't being presented to you and, and you're not endeavoring to answer them, you're dismissing them, there's this anxiety, I think, that, that can build up over time. And I think part of the reason we have this mental health, um, we have mental health issues are arising with, with you know, younger generations and, and suicide rates are climbing is I, I think a lot of them are questioning what's the point of life. And I, I keep myself constantly distracted and yet I still feel you know, d- depressed and it, it doesn't seem to be filling that, um, you know, that, that, that gap in my, in my life, that void. And you know, I think, you know, we as Catholics know what will fill that void. But I think for a lot of young people, they don't, they just don't know. They just don't know how. And that can be, and I think if they don't know how to, how to fix the issue and, and they, they experience it day after day after day, eventually that can be, that can be too, too much. But, you know, and I say all this because, you know, if in 10 years, half the world's population is unemployed, there's, a, there's, a real chance that those who don't have jobs will just simply try to escape into a virtual reality, which will be insane. Um, and there's been movies about this, right? Um, Spielberg, Spielberg has one, Ready, Ready Player One. And, and they'll just try to get themselves extracted all the time. But we know even today that if you try and do that, ultimately it's not enough and people are going to become depressed. So it, it's, it's, it, I think it's very important for the church, his voice to be very loud on this, to, to, to trumpet the importance of a formation of taking time to invest in, in the most important things in life um, in lieu of, of, of those distractions. Because if they don't, uh, I think that there's going to be a, a lot of problems. And, and I don't, I think if the church isn't, isn't the one leading on this, I just don't know who else would. And I, I don't think we'll, we'll be as successful as a species of heading off this uh, potential civilizational catastrophe. So where does this put the church? There's been a long history of technological advancements and very little of it seems keen on seeking out the church's wisdom. However, with AI, Jeffrey and Matthew seem to agree that's not the case. It has been extremely interesting that within the AI field, there is a large segment of very openly religious people, more than any other scientific discipline I've ever been a part of by like a a multiple factor of magnitude. I think it's because um, at this nascent stage, it attracts people who are interested in these in these fundamental and foundational questions of what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose of the universe, and people who have serious convictions about that are actually more able to sort of enter it and play around with it. I feel in that the same way too. You know, I think about, um, you know, the promise of Jesus to Peter that the church will, you know, survive. That gives me um, you know, confidence to know that like, you know, for lack of words, like God's always got our back. Right. And that like, like we have, and when I have that, I don't have to fear the unknown and the fear and where this takes us, because I already know what the unanswer is. Like I already know the unanswer is that Jesus created the, you know, God created the world and that we, we are perfect when we're able to like make ourselves more like him. I don't fear you know, what that is. And so because I have that conviction, it's like freeing to be able to enter the space. Whereas if you don't have that conviction, it sort of places you in this area of you have to look at all these scary questions about existence and stuff straight in the eye, when ultimately you haven't had to look these questions straight in the eye. I would say the AI leaders that 
uh, I know personally or are part of our network and have been very open um, to the morals and truth of religion. And, and, and I, would, I, would, I would say for the most part, I, I find them to be very deep thinkers asking, you know, who are concerned with the deep philosophical questions and are very aware of the enormity of what, what they're designing and are very weary um, of, of having, you know, such an influence on, on the future of civilization. So my experience, you know, if you take the, you know, the Sam Altman's of the world or the Denise Haspies, is they're very open to the conversation. That I think that the, the biggest issue is, is there's very few people in the philosophical and theological realm, especially in the church, who understand these technologies well enough to engage them in a meaningful conversation. This puts the church in a crucial position of influence. For centuries, we've ground our teachings on social doctrine in the wisdom of the doctors of the church. We've grappled with hard truths and held synods on countless moral dilemmas of our age. So for the lay people who will be eventually facing AI ethical issues in a tangible way or sharing the good, the true, the beautiful with those interested, how should we prepare? The core questions would be, um, I think that we're going to be uh, butting up against and uh, would be the question of the importance and the special specialness of human life. Um, and that um, we as human beings have been back to Genesis one, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, that we have a soul that is unique and special, cannot be replicated by any aspect of technology imbued with God, imbued by God at the time of of creation. And that is something that we need to be able to synthesize. But what we need to not do is not project that from an aspect of fear. Like I said, equipped with that knowledge and equipped with that certainty, we can we can tackle this and use this technology for the betterment of our of our brother um, and, and know where the boundaries are and know that within these boundaries, we can do whatever we need to do. I would love for there to be like a Humana Vitae for AI. You know, I think that Humana Vitae was a great, you know, document because it, you know, it wasn't actually saying, oh, we, this method of contraception or like this other piece was like the most important piece. Rather, what it was doing is it was setting out the guidelines of like, what does it mean? You know, what is this, the, the, purpose of life and of of um of marriage and life and the conjugal life we need that kind of like larger architecture of what are the already existing church teachings right like we already have the existing church teachings but sort of propagated in a way that applies it to these specific questions that would be yeah. a great place you know to start because i actually think that like we get to fight this battle on our home turf right with things like uh, with things like uh, um, contraception and stuff, we're sort of having to take very detailed, you know, very big theological questions, and it takes a lot of time to get down to like why you can't do X, Y, and Z with with this. But when we look at these larger questions with AI, people are already starting like at the base. They, they and that's where the questions sort of are, are at the base. Or what is the nature of existence? Um, wh what does it mean to be alive? Um, and so we don't have to go through as many like chains of thought to get to where we want to be. So I actually think it's going to be an easier communication and an easier like proposition to the world to expound on why we believe what we believe in 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 light of the advancements that are happening in the AI space. So if the companies are not going to talk about it, you know the technology best, and the government doesn't have a good, um, good handle on it, or, the, or the, the politicians aren't motivated to speak about it because it's scary, who's going to talk about this? Who's going to force a conversation? And I think this is the, the, the church has played a very important role in the past 
um, when new technologies arrive on the scene, which cause major disruptions to how human beings live. I mean, you think of encyclicals like Rare and of Arm, they're very prophetic. And so I think we're at one of those times where we need the church to step in and 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 to help provide some guidance to, to, to kind of reveal to us a, a path forward, or at least to, to, to tell us what these technologies you know, should be prioritizing and delivering. And, and I feel if we if we don't have that sometime soon, um, I feel, you know, we may, it may be a situation in which we're going to have to be involved in a lot of cleanup afterwards. So the disaster will be upon us and the church will step in and, um, where I think all of us would like to avoid that situation because I mean, we don't have 25 years industrialization, you know, it took quite a while to develop. And so there was time to think and reflect with AI. It's, it's a, it's a runaway train. So we have to um, consult as widely as possible and, and try and wade into this conversation as soon as possible. Matthew and Jeffrey feel largely hopeful about the future, hopeful about what AI can offer for human flourishing, hopeful that those leading in the tech industry are of sound mind and morality, and hopeful that the church will offer a stabilizing voice of reason. And so those are places where um, AI will, can immediately have material benefits for all of us in our daily lives and for the, for, for the foreseeable future. Okay. And nice. that's not like this sci-fi fantasy of like, oh, it's going to turn over, you know, you know, like that. The big things that I, I really want to discourage people about is that they always go to this, like, what if it becomes sentient and takes over? Mm -hmm. And I would remind people that like, what if like almost anything could happen, right? Like any, you can, what if almost any scenario in the future? And there's like some plausible, there's some chain of events that might, might lead to that. What we need to be asking ourselves is what is likely to happen and what would be the conditions that would occur for that to happen. And before we got to the future, there has to be all these like intermediary steps. And we just need to like be sensible about regulating and legislating those intermediate steps as they happen. I like to tell people that like saying that the AI could like become sentient and take over the universe is like uh, if we had not, humans had never invented fire and someone showed you fire and you said, yeah, but what if you can make the atom bomb with this? And then they're like, we need to legislate fire right now. No fire for any humans because you could mm -hmm. make an atom bomb with this fire. Like, yes, functionally, that is true. The creation of the atom bomb is a, is a direct lineage of the technological advancement that created with the cultivation of fire. But we shouldn't be like outlawing fire just because along some distant path of causality, it may emerge to this one bad condition. We do what we did now, which is like as these as it becomes realistic and we see evidence of problems, we take enriched uranium and we make it illegal to enrich uranium. You know, like we do the sensible things at the time that are going to have a likelihood of actually stopping the very specific thing that we're trying to stop versus this kind of like nebulous sci-fi fantasy of like way down in the future. And then because that is a possibility being like, uh oh, no, we can't do this whole area is bad. I think this is all very good other than, um, you know, we have uh, with through Jesus, we have nothing to fear. It's all it's all going to be okay. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Angela Hospice, helping families provide the best care possible for the people they love. Visit us at askforangela.com.